Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. I'm looking forward to our conversation today, of course. Too, because I am, uh, so I have, I have questions about disasters. Um, And you and I have a history of Homeland Security and emergency preparedness work. And in this instance, I am not talking so much about the Homeland Security part as I am the emergency preparedness part, right? Sort of the idea of of what happens during the disaster and the specific disasters that I'm curious about. And I'm curious about how they get paid for are the big disasters like um, the Exxon Valdez, or the Deepwater Horizon, those are both in the oil industry, but like if Bhopal had happened in the United States, States, yes, instead of India, right? Like they got lucky that it happened in India in the sense that the Indian laws, I think, are a lot less restrictive yes. than American laws. But yes. like uh, you and I briefly mentioned the Cuyahoga River being on fire in one of our previous episodes. Yeah, when we were talking about the development of the EPA, uh, right. yes. And, yeah. and, and, the, uh, and the waters of the United States, right? All of that yes. stuff. Who's responsible for cleaning up when industry goes awry in that way? Okay, so uh, listeners, what we're talking about here, and we're going to use as our two primary examples, though, because it's both Nia and I will probably digress Tangent. into what, <laughs> yeah, digress into other examples. But... Or, <laughs> I, oh, no, that won't happen. It's kind of nice to know uh, each other's pathologies uh, yes. before, we, before <laughs> we start a, a project, right? Okay. But we're, we're using as our jumping off point listeners, um, as Nia just mentioned, the Exxon Valdez in the Deepwater Horizon. Both of these were oil spills, okay, with the Exxon Valdez. Uh, that was the name of a ship um, that ran aground off the Alaskan coastline. And at the time, um, uh, Nia, do you recall the year uh, Exxon Valdez was 1989? Yeah, uh, and it should be noted, by the way, that I think the ship's name was, I think that all of Exxon's ships had Exxon something. Something. Right, Valdez, like that was their yeah, naming yeah. practice was yes. Exxon being the company that owned the oil company that owned the owned, ship, owned the and ship, then the yes. ship's technical name Valdez. But and I don't remember who it was named for anything like that. Sorry, I should have learned that stuff, but I didn't. But but the, but Exxon ships kind of like um, Evergreen, the one that got caught in the Suez Canal. All yeah. of their ships are Evergreen something. It's not, you yes. can't just call it the Evergreen because Evergreen is the name of the company. And that's a quick it, way for other ships to know who's, whose ship that is. Yes. You know, that who has is the shown own, yeah, up someplace. Yeah. Uh, in the aftermath of Ex, the Exxon Valdez uh, disaster, um, Exxon paid 
uh, close to $4 million in cleanup costs and restoration of habitat. Okay, so, but the Exxon Valdez, so it went and got oil in Alaska, yes. right? And yes. it was, and it was just in the hold of the ship. It was not in It was barrels. not in, yeah, it was not in barrels yet. Yep. It was just poured yes. in, essentially. Yep. yep. Okay. And then they're leaving Alaska. They're leaving Prince William Sound. Yes. Right? Do-do-do, like you do, sailing on, spoosh, spoosh, spoosh. Yep. And they hit a bunch of rocks. Yes. A known hazard. So it embroiled in this question was, was the captain sober when this, yes. when this accident occurred? That was one of the questions. Another yes. of the questions was, why weren't their navigation maps working? And yes. by the way, 1989 is before you have strong GPS and that kind of thing. But why weren't their navigation maps up to date? Why didn't they know that this known hazard that they were coming close to this known hazard. So there was also some question about the training of the of the of the, of the, of the, of the officers, staff. not just yes. the right, not just yes. the, the captain, but of it. Right. So there's lots of questions about the Valdez in and of itself that are separate from the accident, but that have a question about Exxon and its hiring practices and its training practices. So then you get this. It hits the rocks and it spills. Um, I went ahead and looked that up. Well, it had it had collected fifty three million gallons of crude oil, and I think they pretty much lost the entire contents. Uh, yes, eleven million. I think they lost 11 million. They 11 lost a, million. a fifth yeah, yes. of yeah, what was in fifth. the ship. That's right. Yep. But keep in mind, too, crude oil is not the gasoline that you see at the tank. Crude oil is this thick, ooey, Viscous. gooey stuff yes. that has not yeah. yet been to a refinery. That's right. So yep. it's, it's oil as the dinosaurs made it. <laughs> Yeah, by I mean, going out and dying somewhere. Yeah, in it's in its natural state. It's not yet been refined, um, and so when it spills, it's not like, oh, all that'll be easy to clean up. It, it just lays there, okay. Um, and uh, and, and again, uh, in it, I mean it, it. It requires quite a bit of scientific, if you will, know-how to go ahead and first collect it. And then you have to um, uh, uh, engage in cleanup. Um, and at that time, you know, some of the techniques that were used for the cleanup, um, what we've now come to find out, um, those techniques actually did more ecological damage than if we just had let it lay there. Yeah, okay. I saw that in your notes, and I'm fascinated by that. So, 1,300 miles of coastline were yes. affected. Yeah. Um, for anybody wondering how far 13 miles is, if you started driving in Richmond, you would get to, I think, just beyond the Grand Canyon. Like, it's a yes. long 
distance. That is a lot of coastline to try yeah, to clean I mean, up. And, and, and for those listeners who've never been to Alaska, I mean, Alaska is huge. Right. Okay. And it's, you know, got significant coastline. Okay. And by coastline, they also mean islands, a huge number of the yes. inlets and lakes and rivers in, in Alaska all have islands in them. Um, so, so the, uh, so they brought in high pressure, local, hot water hoses, but it was local, um, local combination of local and federal response, right? It wasn't just, yes. yes. It, it wasn't was, just Exxon. No, it was, it was, it was a, it was sort of a combined was, effort. Yeah. Th this was a combined, uh, uh, public private sector response. Um, and I, I mean, researchers are still trying to figure out the damage. It, 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 and I know this is, you know, 2022 when we're recording this episode. Um, yeah, you know, so 34 three, years. Yeah, 33, 34 years. But I mean, um, it, 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 it was just catastrophic. And it was, was so sad. You saw lots of pictures on the news of birds, like yes. if they land in it, because they can only fly so far. If they land in it, then they get covered in goo and then they have to be cleaned individually and yeah, move to and, another and, part of the coastline where they're safe. And, and again, crude oil is thick. It's viscous. Okay. Um, I can't imagine and, that it was good for people or animals. Animals. And, and, and you know, in small birds, okay. You know, one of the reasons why they can fly like they do is because they are lightweight, right? Right. So, you know, they don't have the, the physical capability of being able to just you oh. know, throw off the oil. Right. Okay. I didn't even um, think about that, but yeah. I mean, okay. it becomes a weight that keep holds them down. Okay. Which will eventually mean they starve to death. They, they starve to death. That's right. Right. Now, the, the second disaster, the Deepwater Horizon... Wait, you're not ready to move on yet. <laughs> I'm not because I have a couple of questions about Exxon. Okay. So All Exxon right. paid some money towards the cleanup costs, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I think the total was close to, what was it? $4 billion. Yep. Okay. And, and they didn't clean up the entire thing. No. Right, they left, they left spots so that we could see what happens when, yeah, oh, actually, I don't know, a ship runs aground and spills a bunch of oil because we didn't know what was going to happen. Like we didn't know what that meant for. Well, this was actually part of the uh, 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 court order consent decree. Um, ah. um, uh, some researchers wanted a part of the damaged area to not be cleaned up so they could research how quickly the environment recovered on its own. But okay. you mentioned that one of the things that they used was like, one of the things that they figured out they could use was high pressure hot water. Yes. To try to disperse it. You cannot soak it up. You can no. soak up some of it. And you can scoop up some of it, but the rest of it you have to disperse. And what you're trying to do there is make the part per million in water lower and lower and lower until and lower it's less that, deadly. That's right. 
to marine life. But didn't they figure out that super hot, high pressure water actually kills other kinds of marine life that would have? Yes. That would have survived um, the initial problem? Yeah, because the hot, okay, so you're talking about the ecology in a part of the country, the part of the world that is cold for most of the year. So all of a sudden you're using high pressure hot water in areas that have slow moving waters that are cold. Okay. So instead of feeling like a spa, that felt like you'd been dropped into a pot of boiling water. Yes. Okay. Yep. A pot of boiling water that, by the way, was being, if you will, shoved at you very quickly. <laughs> right. Okay. So you were drinking out of a hot fire hose. Yes. And, and wondering why your lips are falling off, right? Like, because that's. I mean, it's okay, kind of sort of so like when you. It's kind of sort of really like me and when you get into the shower and you turn it on as hot as it can to get the shower going. But yeah. then you forget to go ahead and dial it back. <laughs> back and you get okay. under it. <laughs> okay. And again, depending on how you have your shower head set, it could be blasting away at your neck and your back. Okay, and you know your body just like goes into shock, right? Because you can't handle that. You're not. Yeah, you can't handle it because that's not what you're used to, right? Right. And that's what I, we're talking I've about in regards about to that. the ecology there. Okay? okay. They wanted to disperse this thick, crude oil, but in the process, the what they used harmed the ecology. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, but they left some of it and, and it, and I guess like what we figured out now is that in a few years, the environment sort of heals itself. It sort of recovers. Yeah. Um, in the uh, Mearns Rock area, they left it largely um, uh, as it was um, after the, uh, the spill. And uh, they, they found that mussels, barnacles, various seed weeds um, actually returned to normal levels after roughly three to four years after the spill. Okay. So okay. it could be considered an argument for not doing something, although or you, or no coming up you with could... Or coming up with different techniques. Right. I mean, and... And that's the other thing. Nia and I both know this because, again, of our background in emergency preparedness. A lot of what we now determine is best practice is because we tried other things in the past and they didn't work out. Okay. Right. (laughs) It's kind of sort of trial and error. Right. (laughs) Maybe this will work. Nope. Maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. Um, Did it cover most of the cost? Did that four billion? Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, um, and I know we're going to talk about Deep Potter Horizon, and then we're going to talk about some of the sort of more philosophical questions. I will get to that later because yeah, I I have yeah, because there are some philosophical issues here. that I think 
interest me and I for this particular podcast episode, but they are of significant interest in disciplines like emergency preparedness, public administration, administration, um, and even for that matter, uh, business administration. And environmental protection. Environmental protection, et cetera. And these are some, you know, you know, large um, philosophical uh, questions that we hope to get to with this podcast episode and perhaps get you all to think about them. Um, um, So. So 21 years later, platform in the Gulf. Yes. Um, Um, This was the Deepwater Horizon. Yeah. Deepwater Horizon. Um, This was your classic, if you will, oil platform in the middle of a body of water. Because what we've determined over the years is off the coast of, you know, Louisiana, for instance, California, okay, there are deep reserves of petroleum. So you build a platform in the water, okay, and you drill down to get the oil because that's where the the oil might be, right? Right. So you have this And the platform is usually what, like a story or two above the surface of the water. Yes. So you have these four big legs yes. that go down into the body of water, which is why we don't do this in the Pacific or the Atlantic very As far much. off the coast yes. because they are significantly deeper. Your legs would have to be miles long yes. um, instead of probably what the two miles or so that it is in, in the Gulf. Um, and that, uh, who knows where the technology will take us in the future, what, what we might be able to to but part of what you do that for is stability because then you have all this equipment on top of it and you have living quarters and food and and all kinds of stuff on there I mean, the platform is huge and it's like a city it's like a small it's, town it's like a small town and remember too folks we're talking about the gulf of mexico so you're talking about an area of the world that is prone for at least 2 to 3 months every year of some devastating hurricanes. Right. Okay. So it's got to be built pretty pretty well. Yeah. And the platform itself was not the problem. Well, it no. became the problem. It became the problem, right. But okay. it wasn't but like cuz it did catch fire, but that was not No, the the initial problem that was not was, the initial problem. It was the crack in the pipes, okay, drawing out the oil, okay? Right. It was they just had a, yeah. So, okay. So for those who don't understand, let's briefly. So what happens is you sink a tube down to, down through the earth and you pull out the, the rock as you're sinking that tube. And when the tube hits oil, then you put in another tube and inside that tube is the vacuum suction. This is very simplified. I can hear, I can hear oil executives screaming right now across oh, the planet that I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's a super are, simplified thing. Is yeah, that, there's a, there are a bunch of engineers right now who are like- They're, they're just weeping. And <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry I made you cry. Um, but anyway, you suck the stuff out. And then when you're ready to move on, because what happens is pockets 
pockets of oil sort of you get to the end of the usefulness of the pocket of oil and when it's on land you can do what's called fracking which is you can explode things and force more oil out of the shale yes. but in the water we don't frack we don't we yet have not yet figured out that technology and with any luck we won't um because god help us fracking in the ocean but anyway the then what happens is they pull out that inner tube and then they try to close off yeah they try to cap that the well. original tube that original yes. well tube they try to cap and that's where this became a problem was so once they realized they had a crack then they were like oh well we'll just cap it right we'll just we'll just cap it and then that'll solve the problem and but so they did. put a cap on it and it went blues, 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 and continued to leak at at no one is certain the amount per day because bp was like yeah it's like in like 25 gallons a day and it was actually leaking no a thousand a hundred times that or something 500 times it was like it's considered the largest uh marine oil spill in the history of the petroleum industry right so that's around the world because what happens is that surfaces it doesn't it doesn't sink to the bottom no it's lighter than the water so it surfaces it's still gooey and terrible it surfaces and then it makes what's called a slick across the top of the water yes and then all of and then the slick because of waves gets driven up onto the shore and then that's how you get like the valdez was really close to shore relatively speaking so it had a lot less um problem with the oil getting there right but because the gulf that slick was i don't know it was like 10 miles long or something with some horrible it it covered the coastline of three states (laughs) louisiana mississippi and a part of alabama okay i mean it's crazy it's crazy how um it it not only devastated wildlife it basically shut down the economies of coastal communities in those three states. Right, because guess where you get your shrimp from in the South? You get it yeah. off of the Louisiana coast. Okay, so the and fishing industry- even if you could get clean shrimp, nobody wanted to eat them because they were afraid of it. Right, That's like right. it had devastating and, effects financially. And then all the tourist areas, okay? Oh yeah, let's go to the beach and hang out in the oil wait what no that's a terrible idea yeah right okay (laughs) so um uh what was it um british petroleum so wait so then they had a fire on the platform so then the platform caught fire yes yeah and then it was found that the platform didn't have enough ways for people to get off the platform platform safely yep so like this was um, and I forgive, please, my language. I'm going to actually curse. So trigger warning. This was a shit show start to finish. Yes. Because the well wasn't handled well. The closing wasn't, the the capping wasn't handled well. And then the thing exploded and caught fire. Like, yes. And I mean, lots like, of people died. Like this was yeah. not a, a small, I mean, yeah, the what is it? self-caused yeah. death, which Valdez did not. Valdez didn't actually that's correct nobody on the Valdez died no um, um but there were uh 11 counts of manslaughter 
um, uh, that uh, British Petroleum, BP, uh, pled guilty to. Two misdemeanors, and for good measure, they also uh, pled to a felony count of lying to Congress. <laughs> because afterwards, they at least attempted for a short period of time to cover up, okay, all the wrongdoing. Right. Okay. Um, we got the cap under control. There's no problem. And then well, when yeah. this big giant fire happened, they were like, huh, I wonder what, how that happened. Like, yeah. They, it, it, yeah. 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 Um, I can't remember who the guy who was in charge of BP. I don't remember his name. Um, but um, the toll. So Tony it, something. Tony. Go ahead. Well, well Neo goes in and looks that up. Yeah, because um, I got to know now. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and listeners, this is the Tony segue. Hayward. Tony. Oh, yeah, that's right. Tony Hayward. Tony Hayward. Who okay. said, I'm having a really bad day to the reporters. Like, really? <laughs> you're having a bad day. day. 11 okay. people are dead. Dead. The entire coastlines of a whole bunch of states are oily and slicky and gross. Animals are dying left, right, and center. Industries are falling apart. And you're having a bad day. Yes. Perhaps, Mr. Hayward, you have chosen poorly in what you said to reporters. Yes. Um, you know, there are bad days and then there are bad days. In <laughs> yes. Mr. Hayward, okay, you're not even on our bad day scale right now. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay. So, like, dude. But so, first of all, BP agreed to pay a fine to the US government of over 4.5 billion dollars okay okay then bp agreed to cover all the costs related to cleanup charges and various penalties to both the federal government and various state governments for violating environmental laws that total was 65 billion. BP then also agreed to set up a fund that was administered mm. by a special master, okay, to compensate all of the businesses, okay, who basically had to close down because of the oil spill, okay? Right. Now, uh, what what's yeah. interesting is BP pleaded guilty to 11 counts of manslaughter, yeah. right? Like they were treated like a person mm -hmm. in the in the legal sense of so people who um, who get angry about some of the SCOTUS decisions where like Citizens United, I'm thinking right where where corporations are treated as people and we don't like that. We loved it in the case of BP because they were held responsible. They were held- That's right. And in fact, in one of, I think they were also banned from having any contracts, right? Like yes. they lost money, they lost opportunity. The government did actually say, you can't just destroy the Gulf and walk away. That's not how- not, Yeah. That's not how this works. This is not how it works, okay? And, and, and actually, Nia, it's funny you mentioned that because occasionally I'll have students who are critical, as you just mentioned, because American courts 
have in certain contexts allow corporations to be classified under the law as individuals. And I said, right. Okay. For Citizens United, it was about campaign funds, I think. Uh, it, yeah. Um, that right? Yeah. Uh, in the Citizens United case, the Supreme Court said uh, federal law could not restrict what corporations and political action committees spent on campaigning. Right. Because they yeah, said, everybody's all grumpy. They're not people. They're corporations. The, yeah, yeah. And, okay. The, the, the yeah. First Amendment protects individual rights, not corporate rights. Right. And I said, okay, well, if corporations aren't individuals, then all of the various criminal statutes at the state and federal level that make corporations legally liable for criminal wrongdoing we got to throw those out because corporations aren't individuals. And of course, my students are like, no, 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 no. And I said, oh, so there should be an exception for criminal wrongdoing. And they're or like, for yeah. campaign donations. <laughs> right? like, like, yeah. And I said, so we, we have a consistency of principle issue here. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> which, by the way, is where we get into the philosophy of these questions, which is, Yes. is this idea of being held responsible. Now, I the first thing I want to say, I want to go on record saying, is do not mistake paying, setting up funds, doing all those things for corporations being good citizens, because they Correct. are not. They did that because one, they were compelled by the government, and two, because they wanted their reputation, they wanted to heal their reputations. Yes. After the Exxon Valdez, people wouldn't buy gas at Exxon stations. Like yes. they were mad at Exxon. The yes. same thing happened after Deepwater with BP. My friends, my social justice warrior friends were like, I will never buy BP gas again. And I'm yes. like, my friends said okay, the same thing. Okay, yes. that's that's fine. But now all of that is seems to have been forgotten at least in my friend group, because it's been long enough. This was 2010, and now it's 12 years later, and my friends are like, oh, I get gas wherever I'm, wherever's close to me. Because well, it's I really mean, hard to maintain being angry at a company, especially when the company rehabilitates its image. Yeah, so Nia, to your point, listeners, be, let's be very clear about this. Neither Nia or I, nor I, okay, um, are trying to give Exxon or BP a pass here. Oh, heck okay? no. Okay, because they were not good corporate citizens. In both of these cases, okay, I mean, for instance- They lied. Ex <laughs> yeah, I mean, they lied in, in, in court proceedings and they got caught, okay? Right. They tried they, to hide what had happened. Like They, they tried to hide what had happened. There was evidence in both cases, particularly the BP case, where BP execs knew for years right. that there were issues with not only the deep water platform, but, but a, bunch a, of number, right. a number of their platforms, right? Yeah, and they knew that their subcontractors were crap. Like yes. they, they, okay. chose the poor, they chose the cheapest people in the industry, which guess what? You get what you pay for. Yes, right. Right. Okay. They, so they knew of the negligence and Exxon knew of the negligence of the captain and didn't. But Deepwater is far deeper like that. 
that negligence went, I think, a lot further. Further, okay. But in both of these instances, what arose and scholars began to ask, okay, um, is to what extent should the government, and when I say the government, I'm talking about multiple levels of government, right? right. Okay, both federal and state. Because remember with you know uh, Exxon Valdez, it was right off the coast of Alaska. You know, it's been basically the stated policy of numerous Alaskan state governments to pursue as much extraction of petroleum from Alaskan lands as possible, right? Likewise, right. likewise with you know the Gulf of Mexico, okay, the states of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, okay, but particularly Louisiana, have consciously chosen over multiple decades to pursue okay economic development based on petroleum and chemical extraction exactly they benefit they benefit okay. as as states so where the where the question comes in for us and what we're what sort of what we're we're bringing this as far as government is concerned is if the government's job is to encourage an industry right and yes. it is because because in almost every industry except except industries where it's just the point of like killing people which is there is no industry of that but in every other industry the reason the government is supposed to pursue them is because they create jobs and they bring money to the local economy and they right there's all these things that happen when you have good local industry or you know rather uh, robust local industry yeah so local government is going to pursue that in every instance in every single instance they are going to do that you know why because we tell them to we as taxpayers and electors and 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 voters voters tell them that's what we want we want you to we want good bring jobs. us jobs uh, we okay. want you to bring money into our economy we economy. want to improve we, our schools and we want a diverse roads. tax base because if we have a diverse tax base then none of us individually okay gets socked to pay with that burden. right yeah has to get socked with you know high tax uh uh uh, uh rates okay and in in and this is what we tell our elected officials right? and then and then we also say we want you to regulate them and make sure that they don't do pooky things to the water so that we can't go swimming in the gulf of mexico for the next 15 years That's and right. the government's like okay those are competing um imperatives interests. Right, yeah, like, and thank yes. you, competing imperatives. Yes, right. I mean, how and, would you it, like us to encourage all this and absolutely guarantee your safety? We cannot do that. We can't do both things. And and this is where you know scholars, particularly in uh, emergency preparedness and in public administration, have gone ahead and started asking some of these questions. Like, okay, what is the government liability or responsibility for some of these disasters? when for years, you know, for instance, I'll, I'll just focus on the petroleum industry in the United States, 
Yeah, we could years. mention tobacco. We're looking at you. Chemicals. We're looking at you. You asbestos. Like, yeah, okay. I mean, we're we're looking at all of y'all, but we're okay. we're picking on oil right now. Just just know that we have you in our side eye. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. You have not escaped our notice, but we are talking about others. But just using the petroleum industry in the United States, what many Americans don't recognize is that for decades the united states congress okay provided tax breaks for petroleum companies to explore explore right Right. go find pockets of oil because we like it and we want more of it and we want to be quote unquote energy independent right and INEA, at the time we're recording this podcast episode, energy independence is once again raised its ugly head in American politics because the West is concerned that uh, there's a madman in Russia who might turn off all of Russia's oil and gas output to the West, right? Right. And the United States gets some of its oil from, wait for it, Russia. Russia. It's so, not huge. It's about 3%, but percent, still. But, okay, you know, you take 3%. I, I'm going to ask all Americans to drive 3% less. They're going to say, wait, what? <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Okay. So you got the United States federal government encouraging petroleum companies to find, you know, new wells of petroleum. Right? <gasps> do I get to say it? Go for it. Drill, baby, drill. Drill, that's right. Drill, baby, drill. Drill, baby, drill. There, but here's a another industry thing, of yeah. t-shirts. Okay, here's a, here's another element. The federal government then also provided subsidies for oil companies to build petroleum refinery plants. Right. So once once you pull up the the petroleum out of the ground, then you have to refine it for the various uses. Right. Primarily gasoline and vehicles, but nevertheless. So at the same time, we're encouraging the industry to engage in various activities. We also want the government to regulate it. Right. Right. And we want, like, we say drill, baby, drill, right, in Alaska. And then we say to the EPA, protect moose, baby, protect moose. That's right. Right. And, and. Uh, that is a lot harder t-shirt to wear, by the way. Um, but it's like the way, those two things. And the reason, by the way, listeners, that will be part of our growing swag and merchandise line. Protect okay. moose, baby, moose protect baby moose. moose. Yes, um, right. Cause the, the thing that, and, and one of the reasons Augie and I want to talk about this is that like so many things in politics, this is a divisive issue that is nuanced. And this idea that you could have any conversation about it without maintaining your civility, as we have talked about, without recognizing that both sides have a point, right? If If we have built a society, which we have, on the American car and car ownership and the idea of freedom, right? And the wind in your hair and driving down the road. You know, you've had a rough day, Nia, okay? You've had a rough work week, okay? You know, this is part of the American myth, right? You wake up on a Saturday morning, you get in your car. And you go somewhere. 
you drive someplace right? right or you're old and on sunday you go to church and then you go for a little drive afterwards that's right, right where you drive okay. along the roads at very slow paces where i'm behind you yelling at you yeah so, the, 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 the infamous <clears throat> oftentimes criticized by other drivers sunday drive okay? right okay. <laughs> so we encourage that as a society and as a culture and then we also say, yeah, but I don't want you to hurt anything while you're doing that. Okay, well, but when you have an accident, millions of animals die. Yes. Because, and millions of, of miles of, or thousands of miles rather, of coastline are destroyed. Yes. And that's wetlands and all kinds Endangered of- Endangered species. You know, right. Okay, and ecosystems that took thousands of years <laughs> To develop okay right. and we trash in yeah we destroy in less than 24 hours right right so the question becomes what should be prioritized exactly right? i mean it, it's it's kind of sort of like um uh you know uh i've had this conversation and i think you have too friends of ours who were born and raised in europe that have less of an emphasis on an automobile lifestyle right Right. They have great subway systems and public transportation systems, and they have laws and rules that require, you know, high density within urban areas, et cetera. And they but make ex and they make oil expensive there. Gas, gasoline, yes, okay. petrol, as they call it, as my friends in England call it, is it's, it's is enormously expensive there. Expensive. It makes you think about whether you're just going to get in a car and go for a ride. You're probably not going to do that. Not going to do that. But there are trade-offs, okay? Right. Because their tax rates are significantly higher than those in the United States, in part because they have to maintain, you know, these well-developed, elaborate, okay, excellent public transportation systems exactly right? i it i cost, i, I say money. all the time that i would love to have a light rail system in richmond yes and then somebody says well that's going to cost you and i'm like gulp right like i i'm willing to pay that but it will make it will be painful it will be something i have to think about and, 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 and you're right the, that and who should bear the cost right right is that I just mean, users? Do just users pay for buses? No, we all pay for buses. Buses, okay. Because, you know, if we're going to force the users, many of the users are poor people who cannot afford, okay, automobiles, etc. Right. So who bears the costs, right? So you're going to tell somebody, okay, that they can't use their car as much, or if they do, it's going to cost them more to pay for a system they don't use that will be frequented or used by a whole bunch of other people, okay? Well, and then you get the Good cycle of- Good luck getting elected on that, on that exactly. policy platform. You also get the cycle of, of ridership is low, so there's no reason to build out more, so we don't build out more, so ridership is low, right? Like it- It's a chicken or egg type argument, Exactly, right? it's a big yes. circle that comes around and around and around in public administration and, and government is this idea of how do we balance these two, these two things? And when something goes horrifically wrong, whose fault is it? I mean, because Nia, you saw this in the notes that I wrote up for this podcast episode. There are actually some public administration scholars who 
you know, say, yes, most of the blame should be on Exxon and British Petroleum. But you have some public administration scholars who are like, but where's the government's culpability in this? Right. They had the legal authority delegated to various agencies by Congress to regulate the petroleum industry, specifically the Department of Energy. But what they found, okay, is in many cases, the regulators, okay, were in very close working relationships with guess who? The, the regulated, right. Yeah, the, the yeah. The, those who are supposed to be well, regulated. And the way that works is an oil executive is 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 um appointed to be the head of the energy department. The, the Department of Energy, right? They're the head of the Department of Energy for four to eight years, depending on the presidency. And when they are booted out, guess where they go? Back to the oil industry. That's right. Okay. <clears throat> they are not, if they want a job, unless this is going to be their last job which we may need to think about as a society if that's what we want is is your last job your being the head of an agency is your last job and we just <clears throat> give you some kind of public support after that for financially so that you can't go back to those industries because if not you're going to make regulations that those industries like so that they will hire you when your time in government is done that's a natural thing that happens in, well, in political but, positions. Well, Neil, let's just assume for a moment that that kind of sort of crass, narrow self-interest of the former departmental head who goes back to work for the industry that they just regulated, let's just assume that that's not the motivation. Let's say you're the Oh, head look of at you being generous. Well, well, okay, I, I, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Okay. Right? Okay. I'll but go let's along. Say, okay, so let's say you're the head of the Department of Energy, right? And you know that at most you're going to have eight years in office. You might have only four. Do you want to spend all four years, okay, in court because your quote unquote overzealous regulation of the industry, okay, is challenged every single time you issue a regulation? Or do you try to go ahead and find some common ground so you don't spend all four or eight years, okay, with a whole bunch of headaches? Well, and in fairness, change is usually best done incrementally because you can get more people on board for an incremental board. change than you can get for a radical change. You radical change. And, and, and moreover, with, I mean, in, That's a fair point. Okay. Okay. And, and, and when you talk about broad sweeping changes with industries, okay, you're talking about a whole bunch of people's lives, okay, who could be fundamentally changed in a short period of time. That's true. Okay? If you suddenly came in with about, okay, all right, fine, you're making a good argument. Okay. I hate but, it when but, you do that. Um, okay. But, but, it, but, 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 again, but it makes sense to me that, it, that one of the things that a department head or an agency head would want to do would be to protect workers in the industry who's, it, who it is not their fault. BP executives are vastly different from the dude who was working on the platform, right? Like yes, his ability to change that industry was is nothing compared to their ability to change that industry. And yeah, I can the, the, see where he would yeah. need protection 
from a, an agency head or a department head, what can we do that will prevent these, that won't make these people instantly lose their jobs? How about we phase something out so they can transition to a different job so that they can still feed their families and, and, and this, you know, and this kind of sort of goes back to a more fundamental uh, question, Nia, and I want listeners to go ahead and think about this. If we're going to have the modern administrative state where the government assumes more regular regulatory responsibility, then should the government also assume some of the legal responsibility when harm occurs? You understand the question, right? So you know, we right. We if you claim, these... if you claim more regulatory power, are you also taking on responsibility for when, when those occurs. things don't, when those things don't work out? So, if you had said, if they had, so in, let's use deep water as an as a thought example on that. So, if the government had been all over BP with uh, these platforms don't work and this thing doesn't work and that thing doesn't work and you need to get this fixed by tomorrow and blah, 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 blah. And the government <clears throat> and then had, signs off. And, the, and BP had done it and the government signed off or BP didn't do it, but the government signed off, off. on their promise. Then, then would the $65 million have needed to come from the government? 65 billion, not million. Billion, billion, sorry. <laughs> I was thinking just a moment, I was like, wait, that's too low. Um, but, but, but Nia, I'll go ahead and, and yes, you, the answer uh, would be yes, I think. Nia, I'll you... give you a more recent example with um, a, a phenomenon that uh, listeners, Nia's mentioned a couple times to me uh, off recording. Um, Nia's fascinated by the driverless automobiles. Oh my okay. gosh, Nia hates this idea with the power of a thousand burning suns. <laughs> okay, but hear that, Elon now, Musk? You suck. Okay. <laughs> I, seriously, it's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea unless all cars have it. So, but anyway, but that's a okay. philosophical question we have for another day. Okay, but we have driverless automobiles. And we've had various federal and state government agencies sign off on their use. But now, because we have more of those types of automobiles, we are now seeing accidents that are being caused. And some of the lawsuits have actually named these government agencies as defendants because the government agencies have at least given temporary or probationary, if you will, approval to their usage. Now the government agencies are claiming in court filings that I've read so far, Nia, that the government can't be sued because the government didn't create the technology, okay? All the government is, tasked with doing is to make sure that they meet existing safety requirements. But those who have been injured have been said, are saying, you know, they're asking the question in court, but you are allowing these automobiles to be used 
on city streets, on highways. So if the government says they are safe and the industry is going forward by producing more of them and more consumers are buying them, okay, should not the government also be held responsible? I think so. I mean, I think that if the government says, you know, if the government says that a Pinto is safe and someone taps you in the back of your Pinto and it explodes, the first people that are responsible, isn't it Ford? I think that was a Ford Pinto. Yeah, Ford The Pintos. first people who are responsible are Ford and Ford's engineers, but also the government regulators that said Pintos are safe because government regulator, like if you make a car, you have to submit that to the government for safety issues. You don't get to just put a car on the road and say, ta-da, I made a car. That's not how that that's not yeah. how that works because yeah, the National Highway to, Safety and Transportation Board. Yep. Right. They have to ensure that your model is okay. safe for you know people to be in. So if it's not, so I can see where that argument could be made that that if if they said it was a safe thing. What if the corporation Well the FAA gets I mean uh is it the FAA that gets sued when airline yes when there yes. are airline crashes and that's not an illegitimate thing. We we but what if the corporation lied to the regulators? Right. And that's what the regulators would have to prove. They'd have to prove that they were given, that they signed off on something that wasn't true. They, it's like Theranos, right? She said yes. all those things that, that miracle things that she could do with a drop of blood and yes. nobody got the proof for it. And so yes. a whole bunch of people are liable because they didn't, they didn't do due diligence. But if, but if so, if the government does due diligence and they are lied to, then I would say that that would remove them from legal censure. Yeah. So the liability. liability. Is, yeah, the liability is then you know separated or tenured. But they'd have yeah. to prove they were lied to. They'd have to prove. Yes. Well, for instance, tobacco for years lied to the government and said we have absolutely no proof that smoking causes cancer. Yes. When in fact, they had tons of proof that smoking causes cancer, but they told the regulators that it didn't until they couldn't get away with that lie anymore. More. But of course, listeners, Nia just gave us another example of how the government at times, okay, is um, schizophrenic. Right. Has competing um, interests. Has competing interests. Because, because as a person who was raised on a tobacco, well, I wasn't raised on a tobacco farm, but uh, my uncle owned a tobacco farm. Um, he had subsidies he, he, yes. to, to raise tobacco. So and one agency of the federal government, the Surgeon like, General's Here, we'll give you a little money to raise this tobacco. And another yeah, agency surgeon, says, don't do that. That kills people. <laughs> the Surgeon General's office went ahead and concluded in the late 1950s that tobacco caused cancer. Okay. And for easily another four decades, the United States Congress passed appropriations bills that gave subsidies for farmers to continue to grow tobacco. Yep. Because the Southern lobby is powerful. So, I mean, I mean, again, you know, listeners, there's not necessarily a correct answer here. And right. once again, I cannot emphasize enough. It is not cut and dried. Okay, Exxon and BP, okay, deserved 
to pay all the fines, okay, all the cleanup costs, et cetera, et cetera. Right, but how is pass. it that they had a giant platform in the middle of the Gulf and the United States government did not know that it was a piece of crap that was going to fall over, catch fire, and kill 11 people? Like, yes. how is that? How is that a thing? The government, I, I, I'm falling into the category of the government should have been held okay. somewhat liable for that. Okay. Because again, you know, the government is, you know, and we hear this all the time, listeners, right? Nia, you and I have talked about this. Okay. We have government officials that make claims that if you do X, then Y won't occur. The risk will be gone, Right. Okay, and and I know some of you who are listening are like, he's going to launch into another discussion of COVID-19. I could, but I won't, right? But we see this in all kinds of public policy areas. Right. Okay, but you can't remove the risk completely. Right. Okay. And, and those jobs benefit thousands of families. Yes. And- Okay. And they are how they send their kids to college and they are how they pay for their medical bills and their food and their shelter. Like that's, those are good paying jobs. So how do we, if we're not going to have those industries, what are we going to do with those folks? And how are we going to have them maintain a decent life? Yeah. There's, there's, it's complicated, I think, is what we're trying I mean, to get I mean, at. You, is... you just talk about job creation. You know, there's a federal law, listeners, um, that Congress passed that I think President Truman signed into law that said, okay, one of the goals of the federal government budget is to provide, okay, employment for all Americans. Really? Yes. Okay. So when you have that, when you have the government make those kinds of claims in law, okay, it's not surprising that a bunch of people start relying on those claims, right? Right. Okay. I'm not going to tell listeners where I live in the Richmond area, but I live in a county outside of Richmond that says my drinking water is clean. Every, turn, every time I turn on the tap, I rely upon that claim. But what happens when that's not the case? Think about Flint. all the think about Flint. all those people, people in Flint, Michigan. Okay? Right. So I mean, oh. these are some these are some serious philosophical questions. <laughs> yes, right? they are. Okay. And in 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 the you know our purpose, listeners, is not to go ahead and completely blow you all's minds or to make you completely risk adverse with what you do in your daily lives. Yeah, don't right? go outside. That's what we're saying to you. Don't go outside, don't do anything. Like, no, we're not saying that. But okay. we're, we're saying that it's not as simple as corporations are evil or the government is evil, evil. or, or uh, you know what I mean? Like there is, there is no the, one bad guy. There are so many trade-offs right. in this discussion that oftentimes, Nia, I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure that we as American citizens, okay, are understanding the trade-offs that are involved, right? right? Um, and you know what helps with that? Listening to all the sides. Yes, having conversations. It helps, it helps to listen to all the sides and hear what they say they're responsible for and not responsible for, which will also help you figure out where the holes are in policy. 
Yes. Oh, we don't, nobody thinks that they're responsible for and X get, thing. And turns out X thing is really dangerous. And get you to re-examine what are your values and beliefs. Right. Okay. And when you go into the polling booth, how are you representing those? Yes. Okay. Because if you go ahead and believe that we should get out of automobiles and we should decrease our dependence on fossil fuels for energy, then perhaps you should, when you go to vote, throw your vote behind candidates who want to have, for instance, a more robust public transportation systems. Right. Just the thought. And you want to ask them in debates. Yes. What, what's your stand on, or when yes. they come to your local, you know, you have a local town hall with that individual, what are you going to do about public transportation? Yes. And okay. put them on the spot. Make them answer. Okay. okay. And how are they going to pay for it? Right? Right. You know, who's going to pay for it? Are you willing to accept that trade-off? Okay. Um, okay. Um, but these are tough questions, right? Um, and, and, and they all arise, you know, from, you know, this, this, as Nia, as you pointed out, this tension between, on one hand, the government is trying to encourage, you know, job growth, industries to do well, but at the same time, we want to minimize the, economists love this phrase, negative externalities yeah. of, you know, of, of, of marketplace behavior. Okay, so how do you accomplish those two? Because a lot of times it forces you to make tough decisions. So, yeah. Right. Thanks, Hoggy. This has been a really good episode. It's been really interesting for me. And I hate when you make good points that I now have to go away and think about. Well, occasionally so. I have them. <laughs> <laughs> Not all the time, but occasionally. No, yes. I appreciate I appreciate you giving me a different way to view that. So yeah. thank you. Yeah. And uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Bye, Nia. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this